Well, this evening, uh, this evening, it's been a long day. It was a long journey coming over on the motorway. It's not that long. Uh, this morning, uh, I'd like to ask um, a simple uh, question of us um, that comes from this passage. And the question is this, is following Jesus worth it? Is following Jesus worth it? Is being a Christian and serving him to the cost of everything else worth it? There are times in the Christian life um, when even the strongest Christian can be tempted to question uh, whether it truly is worth following Jesus. And perhaps that's something that you struggle with. Um, Perhaps there are days when you struggle with the sacrifices that are called to be a Christian. Uh, perhaps you're, you're not a Christian uh, here this morning. Uh, perhaps you're weighing up whether it is worth following Jesus. Because the reality is, following Jesus comes with a cost. There is a cost to following Jesus. Is it worth following him if it, if it makes you unpopular? Is it worth following Jesus if it means having to make moral uh, decisions uh, and face the consequences of them? Is it worth following Jesus if it means that you have to, to end a relationship? Is it worth following Jesus if it means a divide or a separation uh, from your family? Is Jesus worth following? We see that question laid out to us um, this morning. Now, my main focus this morning is to um, consider how the disciples respond to the encounter that Jesus has with the rich young ruler. Um, Jesus encounters this this rich ruler uh, who asks the question, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And and Jesus responds to him. He's clearly an earnest and a keen young man. Um, He's clearly interested in things of eternal significance. Um, He's similar to to Nicodemus, uh, who we read about Uh, in John 3. He's not trying to catch Jesus out like some of the Pharisees often did. He's coming to Jesus sincerely asking an honest question. Um, He's searching for a response. What must I do to receive, to inherit eternal life? Unfortunately, the response that this young man gets is not the one that he expects, uh, nor the one that he wants. You see, he thinks he's led a, a really good life. He, he feels that he's kept the law fully. But Jesus challenges him. He says, you still lack one thing. Sell everything you have, give it to the poor, and you'll have treasure in heaven. Then come, follow me. And when he heard this, he became very sad because he was very wealthy. You see, the young man couldn't follow Jesus. Despite his earnestness, Despite his uh, desire to ask an honest question of Jesus, despite having lived a life that he considered to be keeping the law, because he loved his possessions too much. He loved his wealth. He couldn't leave them behind and follow Jesus. However, the first disciples who encountered Jesus uh, had left everything to follow him. Uh, Luke chapter 5 verse 11 tells us um, of the immediacy the manner in which they followed Jesus. So they pulled their boats up to shore, left everything, and followed him. They left everything behind to follow 
Jesus. So perhaps in witnessing the way in which the young man turned away from this encounter in disappointment, they couldn't help but think, well, hold on, did we make the right decision? So the first thing I want us to consider this morning is this, a moment of self-reflection, a moment of self-reflection. You see, Peter listened very, very carefully to this encounter between Jesus and the rich young man. Um, he, He saw something of the earnestness and the desire in this young man to understand the path to eternal life. And he'd seen that Jesus had exposed this man's heart um, by instructing him to sell all that he had and give to the poor. So when the man refused to do that, when he turned away sad and disappointed, uh, the end of the equation was that he really felt that on the balance of things, following Jesus wasn't worth it. It wasn't worth his possessions. It wasn't worth his wealth. His status, his, his money was, was too valuable to him. Jesus, of course, wasn't surprised by that response. Um, He knew how hard it was for the rich person to enter the kingdom of God. Um, We read about that that in verse 21-25. Jesus, looking him with sadness, said how difficult it is for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. For it is easy for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. Um, As you might might guess, quite often uh, my name I, I, I often get the joke of whether I'm rich by, by name and rich by uh, status as well. Um, I'm very glad for, for this verse that it's, it's the wealthy that Jesus points to. How difficult it is for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. Not, not those who are called rich, um, thankfully. Um, but those who listened to this interaction, who saw the way that Jesus dealt with this young man, including the, those, the disciples who were there, found this interaction shocking. They found it a shocking response. Uh, Verse 26, those who heard it said, then who can be saved? Who? But he said, what is impossible with men is possible with God. And so this interaction caused the disciples to take a moment of reflection, to reflect upon their own salvation. Um, Although they were his closest friends, although they accompanied him throughout his ministry, Uh, that they'd seen uh, his life uh, up to this point, they were still in the process of really learning and truly understanding who he was and what it meant to follow him. Now, as is often the case in uh, the Gospels, it's Peter who takes the lead in responding uh, to these things. Peter uh, is always quick uh, to say something. He says, verse 28, We have left all we had to follow you. Um, Perhaps... Peter was suddenly worried about his own salvation. Seeing this interaction, he sort of reflected upon himself immediately. Perhaps he was concerned uh, that he was the the proverbial camel going through the eye of the needle. And so Peter puts forward um, his discipleship as the grounds of his salvation. We have left all we had to follow you. Well, Peter and the disciples had done uh, the very thing that Jesus said the rich young man should do. Uh, They gave up everything. Now, they might not have had as much or as many material possessions as this rich young ruler, um, but they'd given up everything to follow Jesus. Um, Several of them, including Peter, were were fishermen. Uh, They wouldn't have uh, had great possessions and great wealth, but they, they gave up everything to follow Jesus. And although we read 
Peter's words as a statement, um, we could very easily infer that it's um, more of a rhetorical question. And in the moment, having seen Jesus encounter this rich young man, Peter's almost saying, wait, didn't we give up everything to follow you? What does that mean about our salvation? And so, uh, seemingly, Peter is holding up this decision to follow Jesus as a sign of his own salvation. We're seeing the wheels turning in, in Peter's brain. We did follow you. Uh, we did the thing you said. We accomplished the task. Well, Peter is um, one of the most prominent disciples that we have in, in Scripture. Um, we, we get to know him throughout not only the Gospels, but also uh, into the book of Acts and then his letters as well. Uh, Peter was a, an intriguing character. And one of the things that stands out about Peter is how quick he is uh, to, 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 to make associations, to jump to conclusions, to be hasty in his thinking. And throughout his time with Jesus, we see a great learning process in the life of Peter. Um, he had much to learn. And one of the things that he had to learn uh, at this point in time is that salvation is not by works, but by grace. Being obedient to Jesus' command uh, to give up everything and follow him is the fruit of saving grace, not the action by which uh, someone is saved. Because what God requires is not actions or deeds. What God requires is a contrite and a broken heart. A heart that throws itself upon the grace of God. And so this is why Peter's question is one that we can, we can empathize with. We have left all we had to follow you. Haven't we? Again, it's an honest question. It's an honest statement. Every Christian, anyone seeking to follow Jesus... Uh, needs to ask at some point or another. Um, in one of the parallel accounts of this passage in Matthew, um, we, we have a little bit of an um, extra information uh, shared with us. In verse 27, Peter answered him, We have left everything to you. What then will there be for us? The second thing for us to consider this morning is leaving everything behind. Jesus, as he often does with the disciples, is gracious and compassionate in dealing with them and in responding to them. So we read verses 29 and 30. He said to them, Truly I say to you, there is no one who has left house or wife or brothers or parents or children for the sake of the kingdom of God who will not receive many more times in, in the and in the age of eternal life. You see, it's a promise not only to the disciples, but a promise for all uh, to come, that Jesus um, uh, promises eternal life. Now, a Christian is someone who follows the way. In, in, in the Bible, the word Christian uh, only has a few uh, instances. Um, and actually, when the word Christian is used, it was used more of a slur. It was used more of a derogatory term. And the way that the believers in, in the early church referred to each other was not as a Christian, but as follower of the way. Jesus being the way, the truth, and the life. And so a Christian is somebody who has decided that the riches of Jesus far outweigh the riches of anything else. But becoming a Christian isn't merely forsaking the, the forsaking of earthly things. You see, there are two fundamentals at the heart 
of salvation, repentance and faith. Um, we can dig much deeper into, into what that means, but, but fundamentally they are at the heart of salvation. To repent is to turn away from sin. Um, so that when a person repents, they are leaving sin behind. They are turning away. They are rejecting sin. And to place our faith in Jesus requires the understanding that it is only through Jesus that we can be saved from the condemnation under the law. It's believing and understanding that Jesus is the only way to eternal life. It's leaving behind any other way of saving ourselves. Becoming a Christian is, is leaving behind the old man and becoming a new man. So the only way to come to Jesus and be saved is quite literally, and without exception, leaving everything behind. Leaving behind our old selves, not just the things of the earth, but our former selves. There's also the added depth that some Christians are called to go beyond this. They're called to make specific sacrifices. Um, and it's the details of such sacrifices that Jesus elaborates on here when he says, truly I say to you, there is no one who has left house or wife or brothers or parents or children for the sake of the kingdom of God. Because some Christians are called to leave behind even more. Perhaps some are called to leave behind their families. To leave home in response to a missionary call. Uh, to give up a career and serve the church. To move away from a settled home for the gospel's sake. So the question again is simple. Is it worth it? Is it worth following Jesus if it means heading to a distant land? Is it worth following Jesus to give up a secure career and serve a church? Is it worth following Jesus to move home to, a, to another a town, another city, for the gospel's sake? Is it worth following Jesus in the face of trials and tribulations? Well, the third thing for us to consider this morning is the blessings of following Jesus. You see, Jesus gives Peter and the disciples, uh, as well as us here today, a cast-iron guarantee. He says, no one who has left home or wife or brothers or sisters or parents or children for the sake of the kingdom of God will fail to receive many times as much in this age and in the age to come, eternal life. Now, we know that these days, cast-iron guarantees often aren't worth the paper that they're written on. You know, whether it's a pension promise, uh, an insurance policy, a political promise. Very often, such promises, no matter how they're packaged as being cast iron, are broken or they're unfulfilled. And oftentimes, such promises are unfulfilled because the promise giver, the person laying out the cast iron guarantee of the promise, actually doesn't have the power or the authority or the intent to keep them. But this promise that we see in Luke uh, chapter 18, verses 29 to 30, is an absolute promise by someone who has the power and the authority and the intent to keep it. No one who gives up something in order to follow Jesus will fail to receive God's blessings. Everyone 
who turns in faith and repentance and follows Jesus will gain what he has to offer. Well, what is it that he has to offer? Well, it's a double blessing. A double blessing. J.C. Ryle, the um, 19th century uh, bishop, said this on this passage. It does not refer, uh, talking about this, this promise, to the believer's reward in another world and the crown of glory which fadeth away. It refers distinctly to the life that now is. It speaks of this present time. You see, the rewards of following Jesus are not just a long-term investment that we can look forward to, uh, although that very much is the case. It's not that we should just simply see eternity in heaven as the blessings of a relationship with Jesus, although it is. We just have to stick it out now and, and wait till the end. Rather, Jesus is speaking of the immediate blessings found in this age. Jesus promises that at the very time, this very time, we will receive more than we give up for him. Many more times, in fact. Well, how can this be true? You might be thinking, how can that be true? Well, the promise is true because when we put our faith in Jesus, one of the amazing things that happens is that we become co-heirs with him in the Father's inheritance. God is our father. Christ is our husband. The church, our brothers and sisters. And even more than that, when we walk with the Lord, we receive the blessings of hope and of faith and of peace. We receive the blessings of comfort and of joy, true joy. And that's the Christian experience, receiving a bountiful reward for following Jesus. Even if we give up everything, even if we give up possessions, even if we give up wealth or jobs or locations, we receive Jesus. We always have Jesus. He can never be taken away from us. He can never leave us. We're going to uh, sing at the end, um, a little later, Jesus, Jesus, all-sufficient. Beyond telling is thy worth. In thy name lie greater treasures than the richest found on earth. I love this little line now. Such abundance is my portion with my God. In thy gracious face there's beauty far surpassing everything. Found in all the earth's great wonders, mortal eye hath ever seen. Rose of Sharon, thou thyself art heaven's delight. You see, the promise that Jesus gives to Peter and the disciples as they struggle through these things and as they seek to understand this encounter with the rich young man, that promise that he gives to Peter is our promise today. Is our promise for us today that we can grasp that he is our fortress. He is our refuge. He is our strength. And this is Peter's greatest point of need. Perhaps it's your greatest point of need. 
Have you learned to trust in Jesus for everything you need? Not just to trust that he will supply all you need, but that he, Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God, the risen, reigning King, he is all you need. You see, Jesus really is worth following. Because when we have Jesus, we receive many more times that that we give up to follow him. J.C. Ryle also said this, Friends can prove faithless. Royal promises have often been broken. Riches have made themselves wings. But Christ's engagements have never been known to fail. You see, Jesus promises to be with us through all our trials, through all our tribulations, and he promises that, we will, uh, that he will receive us into glory. And that is the other side of the double promise. When Jesus says to them, no one who has left home or wife or brothers or sisters or parents or children for the sake of the kingdom of God will fail to receive many times as much in this age and in the age to come eternal life. Because all those who follow Jesus will receive eternal life. What a wonderful prospect that is for us. An eternity spent in the presence of Jesus. An eternity absent from sin, from pain, from suffering. Well, finally this morning, I want us to reflect upon this. Are we worth it? Are we worth it? Well, by the nature of this passage and the, the exegesis of, of, of breaking it down, we've, we've focused on this passage from, from our own perspective. That was the, the question. Is it worth following uh, Jesus? But what Jesus says at the end of the passage compels us to ask a further, more pertinent question. And that's this. Are we worth it to Jesus? Are we worth it to Jesus? Verses 31 to 34. Taking the twelve, he said to them, See, we are going up to Jerusalem. And everything that is written about the Son of Man by the prophets will be accomplished. For he will be delivered over to the Gentiles and will be mocked and shamefully treated and spit upon. And after flogging him, they will kill him. And on the third day, he will rise. But they understood none of these things. This saying was hidden from them. And they did not grasp what was said. Now this is the fourth time that Jesus has talked explicitly about his death to the disciples. But it's by far, at this point of uh, uh, chronologically going through the Gospels, it's by far the most detailed uh, explanation that Jesus gives to his disciples. He makes clear the manner of his death. He makes clear that he will be mocked, that he will be beaten, he will be abused. You see, Jesus knew and he understood all that was to come that had been prophesied. He knew the scriptures intimately. He could recall the words of David and Isaiah. 
He knew that he was the Son of Man. He knew that he was set to be forsaken. He knew and he understood that it wasn't just that he had to die, but actually he had to die in this way. At the hands of the Gentiles being mocked and insulted and beaten and broken. But he also knew that he would rise again. He knew that he would defeat death. And that in rising again, he would accomplish his purpose. You see, Jesus knew that his death was not going to be the end of the story. But was it all worth it for Jesus? Was it worth it to submit himself to such humiliation, to such agony, to such rejection from his father? Was it worth it to suffer all these things in all these ways for the sake of sinners? Was it worth it for him to die on the cross despite committing no sin himself? Was it worth him dying on the cross in such a barbaric and humiliating way for your sake? Because every step he took towards Jerusalem, towards Gethsemane, towards Calvary, showed that it was worth it to Jesus. It was worth him keeping the law. It was worth him being humiliated. It was worth him being crucified. It was worth him being mocked. It was worth him being rejected. And at this point in time, the disciples didn't understand what he meant. But he said it anyway. He said it so that in time, they would understand. He said it so that in time, we might understand. Do you understand that he suffered and died on the cross, that he rose three days later so that you might have eternal life? Do you understand that eternal life is being offered to you right now? Do you understand that it is only through Jesus that joy and contentment and satisfaction can be found? And so to finish... The original question, is it worth following Jesus? Absolutely it is. Yesterday it was. Today it is. Forever it will be. Jesus is worth everything because we were first worth everything to him. He gave up his life so that we might live. Now I don't know... uh, uh, you, uh, your hearts this morning. I've been a couple of times to Kledich. It's always a lovely, warm welcome. Um, I, I know a few of you. I recognize a few faces, but I don't know you well. The only person who I know here is myself, and I can lie to myself as, as we all can. I don't know your hearts. But I would encourage you this morning, if you're a Christian here today, take these things and live them out in your life. If you're a Christian... It is worth following Jesus. And every time you face a challenge, every time you face something which, which maybe impacts on that question and <clears throat> makes you question whether or not it's worth following him, whether making a sacrifice or leaving something behind, trust in Jesus. He is worth following. He will never give up. He will never leave you alone. And if you're not a Christian here, 
this morning. Well, it's a joy to have you with us. It's a joy to spend time in fellowship with you. There is nothing more important in your life right now, and I'm sure there are various important things going on in your lives, but there is nothing more important than sincerely asking your heart this question. Is it worth following Jesus? It absolutely is. Turn to him.